Amen. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. How many of you are thankful for your pastor and his wife? Amen. 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 Let me tell you, um, a lot of people don't realize this, but churches in America are taking a beating. Christianity in the world actually proven. This is not even uh, from a Christian perspective. It is absolutely proven of all faiths and all religions worldwide. Christians are taking more abuse, more hostility than any other time in history. A lot of people don't know that because you know in America, you know we we talk about going through some persecution, but how many know we really don't know what persecution is really about? I mean, I got up here this morning, I drank my coffee, no one chased me here, I didn't, you know, what I mean they didn't sneak me here under cover of night. Um, you know, I had a, a friend of mine that that uh, went to to preach in China, and he said I will, <laughs> and he told me he's a bold type guy. He's done a lot of things in Africa and different places, and you know he's got a, a great ministry in, in Minnesota. He said, let me tell you something. He said. If I go to China again, it's because God led me there. He said, that was the scariest thing I've ever been through in my life. He said, I got off the airplane, and immediately a group of guys grabbed me and threw me in a car, like something you'd see off a movie. And he said, I'm like, what are you doing? And he said, we already got your luggage. Just keep your mouth shut, keep your head down. And they took him like 20 or 30 miles, put him in another car, drove him another distance for a while, and he said, I'm terrified. He said, I'm like, you got to know, he's not a tough dig. He's just not from that world, okay? He said, I am terrified. I'm in a foreign country. He said, you hear about all these atrocities, and now they, a group of guys have grabbed me, thrown me in a car. They drove me another distance for a little while. There's another group of guys. They put me, and he said, finally, after we got a little distance, he said, can someone please explain to me what, what is going on? And they said, we're part of the underground church. He said, the government has, uh, has aware of you coming here, that you're bringing Bibles, and that you're coming to bring life to the lost, and you're here to spread Christianity, and they will kill you if they find out. He said, I've never been so scared in my entire life. He said, how many know that's a game changer? That's a game changer. You know what I'm saying? He said, and those people over there, he said, they pray, man. He said, I've never seen anything like it. He said, you know, their services last for hours. And he said, and nobody's bothered. You know, kids are just praying for God because, you know, persecution produces that. I don't know what I'm talking about. Every atheist in America was praying to Jesus when 9-11 happened. Just ironically enough, right before 9-11 took place, People all across the country are talking about taking prayer to school and talking about taking Ten Commandments down and talking about we don't need God in this country. The second that plane hits, a half hour later, all of us Congress is standing on the steps singing God Bless America. You understand what I'm talking about? Persecution produces, produces desire. It produces faith. Anytime you're told you're not allowed to have something, something in the human nature says, watch me. I don't know what I'm talking about. Let me, let me, let's just be honest. Let me be honest today. How many of you walk past something that says wet paint? Come on now. You know what I mean? You're just like, I got to touch it. I just got to know. You know what I mean? I just, but a lot of you out there, that's the way we are. But I want to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, and uh, I'm just believing God for great things. I want to kind of share a little bit about who I am and what City Reach is. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. God, I thank you, um, God, for this opportunity. God, I pray that you would just be here with us today. That you would bless hearts and lives, God. That you would use us for the upbuilding of your kingdom. I pray for each and every person here, God, that they would grow closer to you, to love you, to serve you. In your holy name we pray, amen. So as Ben already told you, my name is Andrew Grubb. And I'll tell you really briefly, I'm originally from Ironton, Ohio, which is strange that I'm back here 30-some years later. And here's what happened with me. Um, My dad's a railroader, was a railroader. He retired several years back, lucky dog, right? And uh, so he retired from the railroad. But before that... And some of you might have been aware of this. There was a massive railroad transfer out of this area. Racing car shop, all that area. They took tons of guys and just sent them all over the country. We were 
part of that transfer. I was five years old. And we got sent to Virginia, and then another place to Virginia, and then to Maryland, and then back to Virginia, and then back to Maryland. And that was all within, like, five years, six years. So about the age of seven, we finally land in Maryland, and that's where my dad spends the next 30 years of his career. After he retires, he moves away and comes back to Wortland, Kentucky, and left me in Maryland. I told him, I said, Dad, there was, you could have just told me you didn't like me. Like, you didn't, you know what I mean? You didn't have to go to all this trouble to transplant and everything else, you know? So he leaves me. So we're in this position. We're fine. I mean, I was established and working. I had a great career. Um, I was 10 years away from retiring, believe it or not, at a very young age. Um, I worked for the state of Maryland. I did high-risk transports, did riot control, did extractions with gang members and serial killers and cannibals and all that kind of stuff. And before that and during that, I was a youth pastor for 16 years and thought I would be a youth pastor the rest of my life. I absolutely loved it. I love youth ministry. I have consumed more pizza, Mountain Dews, and Red Bulls than probably any other adult on the planet, all right? Um, because how I many know Red Bulls and energy drinks is just kind of what keeps you trucking with youth ministry. It's the only way you can keep up, man. And I've done so many lock-ins and rockathons and youth camps, and, but I loved it. My wife loved it. And we, you know, we just thought that's what we were going to be. So a short time after uh, we had went to another church for about four years, and we had a rocky transition out. Um, we had two back-to-back pastors that were in that area, and it was just a rocky trans- transition. And uh, the guy ended up kind of really being a saw in my life. And uh, so we said, you know what? We, we, we transitioned out of the church. The church was great and everything else, but my wife and I were bleeding. Uh, we, we ever, ever been there in church work? Ever been there in, in position ministry? You're just hurting. And, and you're, you're smiling, and you're going through the motions, and you're reading your Bible, and you're not being hateful, but inside, man, you're just hurting. Anyone's talking about that's where we were, you know? And you, you ever get in those moments where you say, God, how did I end up here? Like, what? I, I feel like I did everything right. I submitted. I, you know, I did the things, and I sowed the seeds, and I, I did the stuff, and, I, you know, I did all, and someone got here, I, and I'm hurting, and I, and I feel like they're not. And so I said, you know what? We need, just, we need to take a, a break. We need to just sit in a church and receive from God. We've never, ever since we've been married, we literally got married and started right into youth ministry and working full-time. We have four kids, and we were just trucking along. And so I said, we need to just take a break, and we just need to hear from God and see what he wants for us. So we go to a church, and we're there about five months, and we had volunteered a few times, but never really took a leadership position or anything like that. And in the process of that, a husband and wife come into the church, and they share with us the the, uh, vision of City Reach Ministry. I'd never heard of City Reach. I didn't know what it was. But basically, here's what we are. And I'm sure, Ben, I think you gave him a brief overview of kind of what. But City Reach Ministries is a church planting organization. We plant churches all over the country. We've planted 96 churches in right at 10 years. All right, so been busy, busy. But they come in, and they say this. We're going to plant a church in Cumberland. My reaction to that was, good luck. All right, because there's churches all over the place in Cumberland. Literally, if you come into the little town I'm from in Cumberland, Maryland, there is steeples everywhere. In fact, people literally come to take pictures and draw pictures and paint things of the landscape of Cumberland because it's beautiful, all right? And it's just these great historic churches and landscape and all this stuff going on. But we are also dealing with a major heroin epidemic. We are also dealing with extreme poverty. I'm talking third world country type stuff. And you come in this picturesque little city, and unless you know where to look, it just kind of hides itself. But within the last, you know, it went from 10 years ago being a place you could walk around at night and everything was great, to 10 years later we had, 
I think, 32 overdoses, all fatalities within six or seven months. You know, it sounds familiar? Kind of going all over the world, right? I mean, it's nothing new. So that's where we find ourselves. But they come in and say, we're going to plant a church. I thought, bless their hearts. That's, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. I feel so bad for them. Um, that, wow, man, there's churches everywhere. Do we really need another church? I don't think so. That was kind of my mentality. And I thought, oh, God bless them. I'll pray for them. Wow. Then something happened. They had two gentlemen with us or with them that was part of their Hope Home. They planted their Hope Home first. Now, Hope Home is a nine-month recovery center for drugs and alcohol. It's totally free. We bring them in. We take care of their food, their clothing. Uh, we get them involved in work programs and community involvement, and we give them a whole lot of love and a whole lot of Jesus. That's the secret. A whole lot of love and a whole lot of Jesus. All right? So they also had already planted that. So two guys came up from the Hope Home. Now, the first guy who spoke was a guy by the name of Jared. And Jared was from Bangor, Maine. You, you would think Jer- Jared's accent was so thick, you thought he was from a foreign country. Okay, I mean, you, you heard, like, you, we gave him a hard time because he would say stuff like khakis. We thought he was talking about pants, khakis. No, he was talking about his car keys. I mean, that's how thick his accent was. We gave him the hardest time, all right? I'll give you another little example of Jared. Jared came in one time and said, listen, I'm looking for a cod. I said, you want a fish? Like, you're looking for He said, no, a cod. You know, I got to sign the, the birthday card. Uh, yeah, his accent's that bad. So Jared's a, he has a card, okay? He's 21 years old. Jared was so addicted to heroin, he was literally, he had collapsed all of his veins at 21 years old. He didn't know his mom, didn't know his dad, and he was literally shooting heroin into his main artery in his neck at 21 years old. Okay, that's serious, serious abuse. When you abuse your body that bad at 21, you're, this is all you got, okay? He said, I was the most worthless person. So I was engaged. I'll be honest. At this point now, I'm, I'm listening. I can feel the Holy Spirit. I can... I'm, but the next guy is the guy that just wrecked me. His name's Bob. He's 34 years old. And Bob comes up to the stage, and Bob's a big guy, okay? So Bob comes up, and at the time, I was 34 years old. But Bob, you know how I'm talking to you, and I'm looking at you, I'm engaging you? This is how this big guy stood behind the pulpit. He stood just like this. Hello, my name's Bob. Um, at the age of 15, my mom and dad gave me to my uncles because they didn't want me. And my uncles immediately started abusing me, and they would torture me in front of their friends and started hooking me on heroin and crack cocaine. And at the age of 15, his uncles did that to him. They would literally torture him for sport for their friends in their living room. That's what he would, after his mom and dad said, we no longer want you, and gave them to his uncles. So you you imagine the rejection of feeling like your parents don't want you, and then the first person they give you to starts burning you with cigarettes and smacking you with electrical cords, and then to ease your pain to make you shut up, getting you high on crack and heroin at 15 years old. Now, here I am at 34 years old, listening to this, and I'm going to tell you, folks, I was wrecked. I don't mind telling you. I'm a pretty masculine type guy. I was trying my face off. I looked over. I, I mean, I could feel the Spirit of God. Ever been there in that moment? You just feel God. Like I've got, and I looked at my wife, and she's crying too, and I looked over, and I said, I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to get involved with this at a very high level. I said, I don't care. I said, I'll plunge toilets. I'll run vacuum cleaners. I'll do whatever I have to do, but I want to see lives. Because at the end of this, he said, but now I know who I am in Christ. And I realize that I have a purpose and that God loves me. And he can't, that man can't destroy my value. Even though, and I was wrecked. And here is why I was wrecked. Because I was raised in church. I was raised in church. From the time I was two weeks old, the first place my parents ever took me outside of the hospital, other than my own home, was a church. I was dedicated to the Lord like a month after I was born. I was raised in it. 
And until that age, I'm embarrassed to tell you that it wasn't until I was 34 years old that I finally realized that a lot of my life I couldn't take credit for. A lot of who I was, I couldn't take credit for. I never realized what my life would have looked like had it not been for Jesus giving me great parents and raising me right and correcting me and telling me yes and no and encouragement on the path. And I sat there with tears down my face and conviction in my heart, and I thought, God, would I be anything other than a Bob if I'd been given that life? Would I be anything other than a Bob? Would I have been anything else than a broken vessel who was using crack and heroin? Because a lot of what I did was learned. What a lot of what I did in life, carrying my Bible, and how are you today, sister, and how are you today? I had watched my parents do it. I knew how to lift high holy hands because I'd had it modeled in front of me at a high level. I was privileged to have parents who lived the same life on Sunday all the way through the week. I don't know what I'm talking about. It wasn't until I got into ministry that I realized that's not the case for everybody who sits in church. It wasn't until I got a little older involved in ministry, I thought, is anybody saved? <laughs> I don't mean, know what I'm talking about. Does anyone really love Jesus? Because my mom, you know, there was no talking about the pastor at our dinner table. Absolutely not. I'm telling you right now, my dad, oh, no, no, no. No, you never badmouth the pastor. I can tell you, because every stuff I'd be aggravated as a kid, my dad would tell you, hush your ski off, son. The Bible tells us to pray. And that's what you're going to do. But you're not going to disrespect my pastor at the dinner table. I wasn't even trying to. I was just trying to bet. I was, you know, I was a kid. You know what I mean? I just thought, not my uh, not the example. My mom said absolutely not. Anytime I would grow up and I would try to talk to somebody or just be, a, you know, talk, upset and vent, mm -mm. you're going to pray for him. The Bible says pray for him. Complain that I hear it over in my head over and over again. Complain it doesn't fix anything. Faith fixes stuff. Prayer fixes things. You're going to want to fix something, boy. You're going to pray. You want to go. You want to deal with something. You're going to. You're going to bombard heaven with your prayers. That was my upbringing. And some of my best friends now are pastoring major churches in the country. Because, and we were all around. I can tell you how many times me and my best friend in the world, we were so honored we actually had two different uh, Sunday school teachers backslide. They quit the church and backslid because of us in the church because we were just so stinking honorary. Now that same, church, that same guy is pastoring a church of 6,000. He just launched another campus, had 1,000 people in his first service, man. God's using him tremendously. But it took a process, man. But you know what happened after those teachers would come up and tell our dads, your boys are driving me crazy? Guess where we went? The church office. That's where we went. You can imagine what took place. Amen? I remember his dad. His dad was a big Bahamian guy. He's from the Bahamas. Big, big man. He said, son, you're about ready to dance. And they ain't going to be in the Holy Ghost. You know what I mean? He, he came to his rear end. But how many know it changed things? But that wasn't Bob's upbringing. That's not what Bob's seen. Bob's seen abuse, and Bob's seen pain, and Bob's seen hurt at an ultimate level every single day of his life. And how many know pain changes people? Anyone ever been in severe pain for an extended period of time? Pain does something to the human mind. It does something to the way we function. It does the same way we react to other people. How many know when you're in pain, I mean the real pain, you don't even really feel like being around people? How many know what I'm talking to? I mean, you just, oh, I just, I love you, but just right now on my back, it just, I just can't even, I can't even deal with it. Just to, you know, if you have real pain, a real headache, man, even light. How I many we got people all over this country that are carrying that level of pain? It's not on the outside, but it's deep, deep, deep on the inside. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So as you're turning there, I, I realized I made a commitment. I came to that couple and I told them, I said, listen, I would like 
to be involved. I'm not plugged into this church. I love this church. They're good people. But I, I want to be here. I want to be involved with whatever you're doing, however I can help. I just want to, I want to help launch, get this church off the ground. And I, I want to help. True story. Three minutes into the conversation, the pastor and his wife look at each other. And he says, now keep in mind, the pastor of that church is a 10-time felon. He was a heroin addict for 13 years, totally set free by the power of Jesus Christ. And now he stands in front of me, an ordained minister. Okay, so this is the process. And he goes, bro, this is how he talks. He goes, bro, you're a church planner. I said, whoa, <laughs> listen, I got a career. I can retire in 10 years. My wife said she's a marketing director. I just want to help you launch this here because we need it. We need God to move. We need more hope homes. We need a woman's hope home. We need this church going. We, this, I'm here to help you do that. They kind of smiled a little bit. So we planted that church. God started moving. We got people to now that, are, that have been set free from heroin. That a, a girl just this morning, just this morning at 730, my wife's phone goes off. It's a text. And there's a picture of this little boy. And the, the, the uh, wording underneath says, God restores all things. Now, let me just tell you why that's so amazing. The text came from one of the ladies in one of our hope homes in Maryland who graduated about five months ago. She was facing 40 years in the federal penitentiary for everything you can imagine, stealing from people, drug, uh, drug dealing, drug usage, everything you can imagine, 40 years. She had lost her baby boy, and they said, you will never see your son again. You're going to do 40 years in the federal penitentiary. The rest of your life will be spent alone inside of a cell. That little picture was her little boy. When we panned out, she's holding him, and she said, God makes all things new. Come on, somebody. She not only she got cleared of all 40 years of prison time, now she's working full-time at a car dealership in the area owned by one of the guys that goes to our, one of our City Reach churches, and she's also on fire for Jesus Christ. She got baptized. She's baptized in the Holy Ghost. In the last two years, she's not touched any kinds of drugs or alcohol whatsoever, and God fully restored when every social worker out there said, you'll never see your child again. Can anyone say amen? Come on, that's the kind of stuff I want to see. But I will be honest with you, for years of my ministry time, I spent a lot more time patty-caking with other Christians than really reaching the lost. I spent a whole lot of time begging Christians who said they were Christians, please come, please be in the pew, please be here. Come on, come on, take one little more step. And I, I just realized, I don't want to be involved in that. I want to be involved in this. Because I spent a long period of time of my life being a very judgmental, hypocritical Christian. As a youth pastor, as a leader, judging people on, well, why don't you live the way I live? The reason they didn't live the way I live is because they hadn't had the example I had set before me. You know what broke me and really changed my heart? When my youngest brother, who I love with all of my heart because there's 10 years difference with us, so when he came along, I was already old enough to start helping taking care of him and carrying him around and everything else, when all of a sudden he become completely and totally strung out on drugs. And he was raised in the same family I was. And he received the same hugs I did. But something inside of him was just wired just a little different. His first experience was when he was in, in my youth ministry. I was his youth pastor. I was actually both my brother's youth pastors. You want to talk about difficult times. And my niece and my nephew. <sighs> Halfway through the youth ministry, about his sophomore year in high school, we started noticing changes. We started noticing in the summer and everything else, he was wearing long sleeve shirts. We started noticing there was different changes in his behavior. All before that, he was a very outgoing, very funny guy. Then we realized at one point in my time, my wife actually discovered it, that the reason he was always wearing long sleeve shirts is because he was a cutter. His entire left arm, still to this day, is completely gashed to pieces. He would cut himself because he was hurting so bad internally that he had just become numb. And so he would cut himself just because he, and this sounds bizarre, but for cutters, they, they cut 
because they see the pain makes them feel alive. And so he had cut his arm, I mean, butchered it, butchered it. My wife cried because she loves him like a little brother, and she wept over him, and we prayed him through, and we were engaged with him, and, and you know, he got back on the track for a while and everything else, and we started noticing behavior again. And sure enough, he was out, he was starting to use drugs. And it started from a doctor who had prescribed him a low-level pain medication to take on a consistent basis. Well, he already had addictive personality. So you give it addictive personality and say, listen, you can take one of these every day legally. I mean, no, that you gets lights out. It's already going to be a problem. And so he started taking three a day and four a day and five a day. And then he started, it just went downhill from there. He started snorting pills and smoking dope and then just went and went and went and went. So we, we finally, he, he ended up getting right. He came to an altar revival service. God sent him free. He ended up going to Bible college. He went to Bible college and met a young lady there. They ended up getting engaged, getting married, everything else. About five months into the relationship, all of a sudden, he was over at my house one night. And God spoke to my and Wally's heart, and I just, I just knew. And he left about 12 o'clock at night, and I sent him a text. He said, brother, I just want to let you know I know. He goes, know what? I said, I know you're either using or you're thinking about using. You know what his response to me was? There is no hope. Finish it. There is no hope. So I said, where are you? He told me. I jumped in my car. I met him out there. I said, man, there is hope. I said, listen now, listen carefully. The first round, you were a teenager. Now you're a man. You have a wife. I said, so listen, I love you, but I love you enough not to let you die. So here's how it's going to roll. You have one week to tell your wife what I'm telling you. After that, you have one week to get into help, or I'm going to call the police. I mean, what I'm talking about. Well, play with me. I've walked it. You hear what I'm telling you? I said, this is, your, this is the game. This is how it's going to go. True story. The next day, her wife's, his wife's cleaning the house. She starts finding contraband. Calls my wife. Something's up. What in the world? I don't know. So we start walking through this process. He ends up going to Teen Challenge for 10 months before we knew about City Reach. Him going to 10 months. Had to leave his wife. Couldn't see his wife or anything for 10 solid months to go through treatment and everything else. But I'm happy to tell you today that my brother's working a full-time job. He has a one-and-a-half-year-old little girl. They just bought their first house, and he's playing keyboard at a worship service right now. Amen? Amen? Amen. Because there is hope. Well, that's, divert, that's briefly what we're going to talk about. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 22 through 27. To the weak I became as the weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may be all means in any and every way, save some, by leading them to faith in Jesus Christ. And I do this for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings along with you. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, their very best to win? But only one receives the prize. Run your race in such a way that you may seize the prize and make it yours. Not every athlete who goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined and exercises self-control in all things. They do it to win a crown that withers, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown that cannot wither. Therefore, I do not run with a definite goal. I do not flail around like one beating the air, just shadow boxing. But like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave. So that after I preach the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for service. This passage of scripture so closely, closely identifies with the change in my model of ministry, changes my model in my heart and how I try to live my life. Because I can tell you for years of my life, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I served as a pastor, served in other capacities, everything else. And I served it very one-sidedly. For me and for many other people that... that fulfill leadership positions, 
pastoring becomes something they just do on a Sunday or on a Wednesday or when the, the time calls. But God started dealing with my heart. God started dealing with my heart. He said, you're not just a pastor on Sunday. You're called to be a pastor, period. So now all of a sudden that cashier at Walmart, she's part of my congregation. Now all of a sudden that precious little girl waiting on me at Ruby Tuesday that just jumped tea all over my lap, I got to lead her to Jesus. How many know what I'm talking about? Now all of a sudden that person that cut me off in traffic, I can no longer point him to Jesus. We'll get to that later. I didn't do that anyway. I'm just seeing how many are listening. All of a sudden now I realize that my model and the example that Jesus set was, is how many know Jesus was always about the kingdom. He was always about the Father's business. If he was eating dinner, he was about the Father's business. If he was getting ready to go to bed, he was about the Father's business. If he was out and about town, he was about the Father's business. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus always had great things follow him because he never went out without the example of who God called him to be in every second of his life and how many know that's what we are called to be in today's society we are much a Christian on Monday morning we're ready to clock into that job that drives us crazy, dealing with that boss who we know is not the nicest guy out there dealing with that co-worker that drives us crazy, that we have got to be the person that God's called us to be I realize in this model, when I walk this out with my brother, when I've walked this out with other people, that I live so many times living my life like this. Come on. Don't you want to be like me? Don't you want to walk with me? Wouldn't you like to be with me? Why, why don't you live like I live? Why don't you do what I do? How come you, why don't you praise like I praise? How, come, how many know when you start looking at yourself constantly, you're still looking at the wrong things? But a lot of church people, a lot of church people, that's what becomes a part of the culture. Well, you know, not everyone praises like I do. Not only not, not everybody knows Jesus the way I do. I mean, I got a deep, deep understanding. Deep. Yeah, you've been around some people. I met some guys the other day. He <laughs> talked to a guy the other day. He said, listen, he said, you know, you cannot offend me. You cannot make me mad. I'm, I'm that, just, I'm that far in love with Jesus. There's a part of me because I will, I'll be completely transparent with you. There is a slight bit of me that is still honoring. There's a part of me that wanted to try him. You know what I mean? Like I just wanted to see, like, let's see what I can do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll go out and key his car. How about now? You know what I mean? Like I just wanted to see. You know, but come on, anyone else a little bit honoring? I didn't do it. Come on, I didn't actually do it. I'm just saying, you know, you're like, hey, let me open this. Wham! <laughs> you, you, you mad? Because I'm not, I don't make such claims. I don't make such I'm a David type. I'm a passionate person. Everything I do is passionate. I love passionately. I hate passionately. I pray. I'm just that kind of guy. You know what I mean? I'm just, so like I said, I don't ever make those claims. Like I never get aggravated because I'm telling you right now, I do. Well, what I realized is, is that my example, my model, my mindset of what Jesus did was not looking on me. It was looking on him. It was to keep my, uh, the awareness that everything that I am, good or bad or ugly or indifferent, lies in my relationship with him, not in me. I took so much credit for who I was. I took too, so much credit for who I was on a given day, not realizing that in the course of my race that I had already been placed this close to the finish line. You understand what I'm telling you? If this is the goal line, if this is the finish line, if this is the example, if this is where I'm trying to get across the threshold to get into heaven, my parents placed me right here. I didn't have anything to do with that. They did. 
Here's the problem, is most people don't get placed right here. How many know what I'm talking about? Some people get placed maybe right about here. So they, they maybe go to church, you know, sometimes, and, you know, when that feels right, and they go on Christmas and Easter, and, you know, they do those type of things, and there's a basic, you know, like, yeah, Jesus matters, and mom and dad are pretty good people most of the time, and, and so they're right about here. So they understand there is no importance. They understand that, it, that, it's, that it's there. They just are not always so sure as how do I get from here to there. And how do you know the vast majority, hear what I'm telling you in this country, the vast majority start right here. Start right here. Bob's. How many of those millions of Bob's? I see them all. Ashley is just, just chock full. Just that little, just chock full of Bob's. Chock full. I'm actually working with a guy. I've been trying for like four months to get him to hope home. He's been shooting crystal meth into his veins for 17 solid years. I don't even know how he's alive. I mean, he's a skeleton. He has low-life scumbag tattooed across his chest. His entire chest says low-life scumbag. So I listened to him. The first time I met him was at an open-air worship thing, and he just kind of stumbled up over in Ironton. Somebody invited me to it, and I was just kind of hanging back, taking it in. Music was great. They, you know, they were just doing a great job. I could feel the presence of God. So I was just kind of taking it all in. And he comes walking up, and, and so I just strike up a conversation. Hey, what's up, man? He's like, man, what's going on? He just shot up. Highs are tight. His eyes are glassy. I mean, he was just, you know, a mess. And that started our relationship. I've been with him ever since. Four or five months, he's rode in my car with me. I've taken him out to eat. I bought him water. He's come to our church three or four times. But as he starts sharing the story, he's like, you know, I've been homeless for like the last six years and shooting crystal meth for 17. I haven't seen my mom or my dad for six years. They completely disowned me. I have another brother, and he, he won't have anything to do with me. He thinks he's better than I am. And this is the story. This is the story. This is what he had. How many know when somebody stands 17 years addicted to crystal meth and they, they literally believe in their heart? Because how many new tattoos represent what's going on here? I heard a tattoo artist one time say, he said, listen, I've been tattooing my whole life. It's what I do for a living. He said, the number one tattoo of all time, believe it or not, is born loser. He said, I've tattooed born loser on more people than any other tattoo. And he said, this is what I've learned about tattoos. It is tattooed on their heart before it's ever tattooed on their skin. I thought that was an interesting example. He said, it's tattooed on their heart before it's ever tattooed on their skin. So I meet this guy, and born loser. So I'm going to know born loser sitting back here. He knows nothing of the church world. He doesn't feel like he belongs in the church world. He doesn't feel like he's going to be accepted by the church world. He doesn't feel like they're ever going to want anything to do with him. And I hate to tell you, I'm not talking about this church. I'm just not, I mean, I preach, I preached all over the country. I've been in church since I was two weeks old. I will assure you there's lots of churches he would not be accepted in. He just wouldn't. They would stop him at the door. I'm sorry, you're, you're dirty, you're filthy, you smell like alcohol. You're not welcome in our church. You're just not. I mean, know what I'm talking about. That exists at a high level. Let's just be honest. Let's own it. We're church, we, let's just own it. At a high level, that's what exists in, in a lot of American churches. You will not be allowed. So he comes, I find him, he says, I'm an atheist. He's got 666 tattooed around the center part of his arm. And he tells me, he said, I'm an atheist. I said, what do you mean you're an atheist? And he said, I don't believe in God. And I said, well, let me tell you something. You know, I, I just met you and everything else, and you say you don't believe in God, and that, that's fair. That's a fair assessment. Based on the life you've had, because there's a point in time in my life, I'd have got indignant. Oh, let me tell you something. There is a God. How dare you say not anymore. Because I, I come back here with them at their leg of the race and said, well, tell me about that. I don't believe there's a God. Why don't you believe there's a God? Because my life's been really, really hard. I haven't, and he goes through the story and tells me all the things. And it just, and I just one day after another of abuse and pain and agony and hurt and all these things. And so I come back and listen to him. And he says, I don't believe in God. I am my own God. I said, well, that's a fair assessment. But let me ask you this. 
if you are your own God. That's fair. I just got one question for you. Do you believe that a real God, if God did exist, do you believe that it would be God's assignment in your life to want the best for you, to believe in you, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that he would look out for you, that he would make sure that your life was pretty good? Do you believe that would be? Well, yeah. He said, absolutely. I said, then what kind of God have you been to yourself? same set of clothes on for like the last six months just i'm just saying what a terrible god you are down the streets of ireland freezing cold it's his head now i said let me just tell you one thing i listened to him for like two hours just go and i just did not listen to him i said let me tell you something Change, Joe. Not reading your Bible, Joe. Not no longer shooting up, Joe. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How have we missed that church for so long? Hear what I'm telling you. I'm not. I love the church. Do you hear what I'm telling you? My calling is the church. People call the missions. My calling is the church. I can tell you right now. My calling. I love church people. I love church culture. But I have to confront the things of just out now hypocrisy. That we just got to change our own hearts and say, God, make us better. I don't even talk about God, just make us better. He said, while we were still sinners, Christ, if our example is Jesus, and Jesus said, I love you so much as a sinner, as a, as a liar, as a prostitute, as a drug, that I would die for you, I would literally lay it all down, my entire life, my entire future, everything that I am, so much so and so much agony that he literally wrestled with God and, and sweat blood and said, God, please, if there's any other way to do this, What example have I been sitting for so many years of people that I walk in after a Sunday morning service into a restaurant and act like I'm some high and mighty creature that I come in and say, the church people have arrived. Do you understand this? The number one, it's funny because we had a lot of people in the, in the hope home culture that worked in the food industry. And so I get a lot, of, a lot of examples. And one thing they all told me, they said, our number one most hated day of the week is Sunday. True story. I said, why? Because I'm a study, you know, I'm a student of people. I said, Why? They said, because of church people. I said, what? Because, you know, I'm a church guy, so I love church people. You know what I mean? I'm like, what? He goes, they are the most mean, nasty, hateful, cantankerous, non-tipping people we deal with all week. I said, you're kidding me. They said, you know who the best people are? Drunks. Drunks just, woo, they just tip away. You see, you know what I mean? Like, and he said, so we wonder so many times why we're not touching a lost and dying world is because we're not going to lost and dying people. Because we're not willing to accept people just as they are and say, I love you just as you are. Just as you are. I love you right here. And I'm happy to tell you that Joe's been coming to my church. Now, he's never accepted Jesus yet, but he's come up to the altar because here's what happened in Joe's heart that day. All of a sudden, I look down because Joe has his head like this, and he's got this one of those big bill flat hats, so you can't really hardly see him. But here's what I started seeing. I seen all this water starting to hit the ground on the streets of Ireland right there at Jesus' feet. The Holy Spirit's convicting hearts and lives. And all of a sudden, Joe looks at me and goes, what did he say? 
dude up here is all to his face. He's got gauges like literally like this big. You see gauges? You know what I'm talking about? His ears are enormous. Piercings in his cheeks, his eyes, his face, every which way. And here's just tears, just carving through the dirt on his face. He goes, "What'd you just say?" I said, "God, my God, loves you." Right now, that's all I want to say to you. I didn't want to leave. I didn't none of that. Just trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. I didn't say, let's pray in the sinner's prayer. Here's a Bible. That, none of that, right? Not then. He said, let me give you the heart of God. This is what he said, fine. Let me hear you. Some serve, some water, some reap. Some serve, some water, some reap. He said, to the weak, I became as the weak. I became as weak. I didn't come through and say, listen, I want to let you know um, I've got four degrees. Come on now. You understand some of the stuff we do in church is just weird when you really look at it. The positions and the titles and the stuff, you know what I mean? And I understand the need for it to a degree, but most of my church, you come to my church on a Sunday morning, they introduce me and everything. It's here comes Andrew Grubb, he's coming to the stage. That they honor my life. They honor me as a man. They don't honor my title. They honor me. They know my heart. They've seen me travail and cry over people. They've seen me scrub toilets. They've seen me carry out trash. They've seen me try to set the example. Because I told you the end of my story is after I helped plant City Reach Cumberland is that we went in and we helped plant a, 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 a City Reach in Steubenville, Ohio. Flat dab in the middle of the project. We got up at 4 a.m. We drove down there. We did what's called a day of hope. We started early in the morning. We get away free popcorn, free hot dogs, free snow cones, face paint. We brought it in a box truck with Convoy of Hope and gave away bags and bags and bags of food to some of the most broken, the most just horribly dirty, filthy people you'd ever see in this country. You think, I mean, it literally was like you're in a third world country. Little kids coming up, man, just haven't been clean, snot all over their face. I'm talking awful, awful stuff that you as a parent or a grandparent would just want to deal with immediately. You know what I mean? You just want to immediately tend to that child just smiling, man. And to give them a candy bar and to let them know that Jesus loves them. And then the next day we launched the church. And you know what I mean? And that church is still thriving in Steubenville, Ohio. And then they approached me and they said, We'd like for you to plant a church. I said, Uh, no. No. I'm I'm ten years away from retiring, man. Like I'm I'm really comfortable. My wife's got a marketing degree and or is in marketing. She's really sad. And you know, my kids are growing, you know, my oldest is fourteen at this time, and I'm like He's getting ready to go his freshman year, and I, we start praying about it. And they said, well, if you were to go, I'm in Pittsburgh, PA. And they said, if you were to go, where would you go? I said, I said no. <laughs> you know. They said, yeah, but if you were, where would you go? And I said, Portsmouth, Ohio. I said, well, said what, what's Portsmouth? I said, well, Portsmouth, my wife has some family over there. And I said, it's completely eaten up with the opioid addiction. The poverty's taken over. There's some people that we know, so they might be able to help us. And so just... Portsmouth, Ohio. And this is what he says. I'm getting ready to close. You need musicians or whatever. But he said, he goes, let me ask you a question. He goes, what do you know about Kentucky? And I snickered. I'm sitting in Pittsburgh, PA, Steel City. And I said, Kentucky? Huh, why don't you ask me about Kentucky? He goes, for real? We got people going all over, all over the country. In fact, just this last year, we planted churches in Africa. We've now went international. St. Croix, Canada. We've opened three in Canada. I mean, God's just doing these crazy things. Nobody wants to go to Kentucky. He said, it's nothing against the state of Kentucky. He said, I think it's a beautiful state. He said, people are going to worse areas than Kentucky. He said, they're just, nobody's got a heart for Kentucky. And he said, I do. And I want somebody to go. And I want to plant City Reach churches. I want to partner with other ministries and churches. I want to help bring life and hope to churches and, and to people. And he said, will you go? I said, God's dealing my heart. And I look at my wife. Because I told you, we've been talking about ministry for years in the back. And I look at my wife. So we go out, and we go through some of the train and everything else, and we're struggling, man. 
we're at a training, and my wife, we go back to the hotel, and she's still really, really into it. She said, God, listen, I'm going to need something in black and white. I'm sorry, I've never asked for that, but I, you're asking us to give away our home, our, our kids, every, every, everything, everything. We've already given so much. So we get to the hotel, she walks in, she goes, man, I forgot the boots I wanted to wear tonight, so without this band, I'm going to go out here. So when we pulled into the, the hotel, it was barely, the parking lot was basically empty, nobody there. So she comes out uh, back in a little bit, and she's shaking her head. I said, what's wrong? She said, you're not going to believe this. She said, remember when we pulled in, the lot was basically empty? I said, yeah. She said, when I get out there, there's a car parked on either side of me. Went for three or four minutes, both sides of me. And she said, one was black, and one was white. And she said, one of them's license plate was Kentucky, the other one was Ohio. Pittsburgh, PA. She said, I took a picture. I said, stop. She said, not one of those, like, everything's a sign, like, Jesus is in everything, but, wow. So we came up here, and we started talking to people, and not really realizing the drug epidemic in Kentucky, I'll be honest, until we started going through the demographics and really studying what issues were and everything else, and realized the whole area, man, it's just, it's got some of the highest opioid counts, people dropping dead all over the place, and our heart is to plant, so we planted a church September the 18th. A month away, a month before, we were supposed to be here six months before, here's what happened. I'm going to close. So we get up there, and we accepted that we were going to go to a home. We were going to plant a church. After we do that, my car blows up. My furnace blows up. And I find out that my mom had stage four colon cancer. Right after I found out that my grandmother, my praying, amazing, loving grandmother, had throat cancer. Never done any of the things that's supposed to attribute throat cancer. I was 78 years old. She's got throat cancer. I like to have a trach with it and everything else. I love this woman with all my heart. So I'm, I'm Seeing my grandmother there with a trachea when they first put it in, she's shaking, just in, in this blood. And I was, a, I was just, I was a wreck. And my grandmother, when I go in to see her, because I'm out in the room and I'm just sick to death, and I walk back in and she's at that trachea, and she looks at me and she's trembling from head to toe. She's never done good with medical stuff, and she's just nervous and upset. She can't speak, but I walk in to encourage her. Good life for She always called me her pastor, and so I walk in to, you know, to try to encourage her. And I'll never forget this. She looks at me, and she's trembling, and she goes like this. She pats me on the hand. You know what she's doing? Still encouraging me. Still saying, honey, it's going to be okay. We're going to walk through this. Just a couple months later, my mom drives back up here because she had set through all these appointments and stuff with my grandma. And my dad calls me and says, listen, you're never going to believe this. Your mom has stage four colon cancer. She's got a seven-inch tumor across. It's already touching her liver got a year and a half to five years. My reaction, I already told you my upbringing. I already told you my example. I was already placed right here. God's got this. You can't, five years, my God can heal it in five minutes. My God can heal. That was my reaction. I didn't cry. I wasn't like, oh, where's God? None of that. God's got, because I'm, I'm just a fighter by nature. God's got this. It's going to, I lost her in six months. Right as I was getting ready to step. I wish I could give you that great hallelujah story that she was here, but she wasn't. Here's what actually happened. I committed to still come. I said, I'm still coming. I don't care, furnace, car, our financial issue. I don't know what, but we're going to make it through this one way or the other. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why, because we've sown and paid tithes and given to people. And our, and our, I don't know, God, but I'm still just going to keep walking. I'm going to keep believing. I'm just going to do this course. And so my mom finally goes into hospice. The surgeon comes in. He said, listen, there's nothing I can do. He said, it's metastasized. It's going through her body. It's happening way, way too fast. So she 
caused me to go home in the hospital. And so we come up. And I called the director of City Reef, President Brian Bolton, and said, listen, I'm still playing this church. Your mom's not here for her. He said, you're right where you need to be. And so my family drives up here. I've got four kids, three boys and a girl. And so we all drive up here to see mom later in the hospital bed. She's in Holy Spirit. My hero is faith. the one who put me on the goal line. She's laying in a bed, and I want to be there for her. So every time she sees me, I'm smiling, and I'm encouraging, and I'm praying. She's looking at me. She's winking. We're giving her water through a straw. We're loving her to the last. My dad literally slept on a floor the last few weeks of her life just because she could just barely whisper. Two weeks, he laid on the floor, wouldn't even lay in a bed or a couch. He laid right there just to make sure that everything she ever needed was taken care of immediately. And I'll never forget, the week before she passed, I stayed. My family went back. My kids are doing saying goodbye, and I, I took a picture of my one son Elijah, because he creeps over the bed and he's he's, he's, stand, he's standing there. He's about this tall at the time, and I always tell my boys, you know, when it's okay to cry. I try to teach my boys how to be men, confident in society, and it, so I, I tell him this is okay to cry and this isn't okay to cry. We're trying to go through all those things. And so my middle son's standing there, and he's squeezing his jaw, and these big tears are streaming down his face. Because he knows he's not just telling his grandma goodbye, he's telling her goodbye. So he leans over the bed, and I click the picture, just as he leans over, he says, bye, mama. My mom barely opens her eyes, and she grabs his hand, and she looks him in the eyes, and this is what she says. Not everybody gets that example. Some people go through hell all on their own. Some people go through it and they just say, where is God? And here's my mom, this close to heaven, and looks at my little boy and says, keep the faith. How many know we need a generation of believers that will no longer play church, but will get passionate about seeing the lost saved. We'll get passionate about lifting the arms of their pastors and their leadership and saying, we want to see God. We are not going to let the enemy take Kentucky. We are not going to let the enemy take this nation. We are not going to let the enemy take this world. And we're going to go to the weak and be the weak. And we'll go right here and we'll walk the walk with them wherever they are. And we'll love them like Jesus loved them. Can anyone say amen? Is anyone willing to walk? Because it has, you have to confront yourself. You've got to confront yourself and say, that's not always been me. I'm about as transparent that I can tell you that I've preached sermons believing, you know what I mean, that I was the answer, that I somehow had some great gifting. The reality of it is, my answer, my gifting is to be weak as they are weak and to show them Jesus in a big, big way. To give compassion, to get in, in their face and really love them where they are. And I've seen life after life after life after life be set free from addiction, pull needles out of their arm, families reunited and restored. Because I got serious and passionate, not just about a Sunday morning church service, but about my life and my relationship with Jesus Christ. Finish your race. At all points in times, I am never in competition with you. I am always in competition with me. I am always trying to walk this out at the best I can be. And if I can help some people along the way, then praise Jesus. If I can come to my course and grab you by the arm and say, come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. If you'll stand on your feet. Just seen a, a picture the other day that so indicated they had one of those big marathons. One of those big marathons. How many know Racing and running long distance takes a lot of mental endurance. I found that out because I don't like to run. You hear what I'm telling you? I don't like to run. 
but it takes a lot of mental endurance. And they showed one of these marathons, and this lady literally had ran so hard that her legs were just given out. Like, literally, she was just like this. And it, it's, I mean, you could tell this lady was in phenomenal shape. She had worked out. She had done her due diligence. It's just her body was just like, done. And so she was doing everything she can. Her legs were cramping, and she was agony. And she blessed me so much because behind her, here comes running a veteran with one leg. He's got a prosthetic leg on the other. He's got, you know, and he's running. He's a veteran, man. He's fought in, you know, wars, and he lost his leg in Iraq or Afghanistan. And he's running. And he does the coolest thing. As he runs behind her, he scoops her up and starts carrying her. And I'm crying. And I realize that's the heart of Jesus. When I preach about sin, I used to preach about sin and forgiveness like, you know, hell's coming, hell's hot. Listen, listen, that's not Jesus' example. Ironically, you read the scripture, you'll find out that Jesus spent most of his time preaching to the lost about heaven. You know he preached to hell about? Christians. Christians. That's got to tell us something about our, ourselves. It's got to tell when Jesus, most of his time, when he was speaking about hell, he was talking to believers in the church because he realized that religion, religion will send you straight to hell. But relationship will liberate you every day of your life. Relationship will set you up Monday through Friday. It will set you up every day of the week. Relationship. When you get up on Monday and say, God, I'm going to need you today. I'm going to need you to God. Help me to set somebody free. Help me to touch somebody's life. Let me bless somebody today. Let me touch somebody in the name of Jesus. How many know that that changes you? Can I just pray with you today? Is that okay? Just want to pray with everyone today. I don't even feel like doing an altar call. I feel like we need to corporately pray. Does this touch anybody's heart today? Anybody really understand what I'm talking about? Listen, we cannot afford to be the church of yesterday. We cannot afford. People talk about it all the time. Well, the church of yet. listen, they had great moves of God. But I will tell you this. The revival that's going to shake this nation will start in the church, but it will end on the streets. Mark my words. It will start in the, in the church, but it will end on the streets. I'm telling you, God's moving all this country in supernatural, crazy ways. I have a guy that's coming July 2nd to preach in my church. He's playing, playing inner, city, inner city churches all across the country. He was in Arizona two weeks ago, and they have an altar call out on the streets. He said, I had 30 different people come up, had drug, drug addiction. Over half of them were set free from demons on the streets of Phoenix, Arizona. He was showing me pictures and videos. Ladies come up addicted to crack. Next thing you know, demons are manifested on the streets of America. Hear what I'm telling you? Church, I want to be a part of that. I think you do too. I sense in my heart there's something arising and shaking in your heart that you don't want to see your state overran by drug addiction and poverty. You know what that one stops at is when we get tired of it and we fall on our knees and we begin to pray and ask God for a move again. When we start getting serious about loving the lost right where they are. And when someone comes in here and they're covered in tattoos or they smell bad or anything else, you say, here, sit here next to me. Because when Joe comes to our church, when Joe comes to our church, this is what I do. Hey, guys, before I preach, I want to tell everybody, we have an honor guest today. Joe, thanks for being here. Yeah. Honored guest. Crystal, Crystal Methash. Covering your tattoos. Sits right in the front row. See the difference? I love him wherever he is. And I believe in that day's coming. That Joe's going to come up and say, you know what? I want that Jesus. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much, God. God, I thank you for the life and liberty that you're offering to people all over this country. I thank you for the revival that is coming. That it's already coming, God. That it's already coming, Heavenly Father. God, your word very clearly declares, God, that the, the harvest is white. God, it's not going to be. It's already ready. The only thing that's lacking is workers who are willing to say, I'll do whatever i got to do. I'll give up whatever I have to give up. Whatever has to take place, God, I just want to see you move. I'm not willing to just give my nation 
over to the enemy. I'm not willing to give over my city or my state, God. God, we pray, Heavenly Father, right now, God, watchmen on the wall, God, that you would just pour your spirit out afresh on your people, that we would hunger and thirst more than we ever have before. We love you and we thank you. In your holy name we pray.